I just come to a point where I say, I don't need to know. I don't need absolute truth right now because that was such a box to be in. And I'm okay with not being there. I'm okay with exploring. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Today's interview is going to be a little bit different because Gary Allen isn't able to join me today, but don't worry, he'll be back next week. However, I am super excited for today's guest because she has become a powerful force for good in the deconstruction community online. Her name is Julia Belanger, aka that loud deconstructing one on Instagram, if you've ever interacted with her or seen any of her posts. Um, and after recognizing that many personal experiences within evangelical Christianity were toxic and abusive, she decided to leave the church and has started to reclaim her voice after years of feeling silenced and dismissed. She also feels it's important to advocate for victims and to call for accountability and address social issues often ignored by the church, and most importantly, speak out about her own experiences. And beyond all that amazing work that she does in her free time, she's also a wife, a mother, and a friend. She has a BA in criminology and plans to pursue education that enables her to further aid victims of abuse. So Julia, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, okay, I would like to start because that bio, I'm sure, has piqued everyone's interest. So can we start by talking about your religious upbringing and kind of how you came to that realization that things you had gone through in the evangelical church were toxic and harmful? I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's we're getting to that point, but sometimes it's even hard to recognize all the ways it was harmful and toxic. So mm-hmm. what led to your recognition of that? For sure. Um, So I actually wasn't born into a Christian household. Um, That's how they like to say it within the church. Um, (laughs) I'm from a non-Christian family, um, like baptized Catholic, but Mm. non-practicing. So what actually happened in my childhood was that when my parents were going through a rather messy divorce, um, there was a neighbor down our street um, who is a lovely lady. She was lovely. And she came up to my mom and offered to watch us after school because my mom was now parenting four kids on her own, basically. Um, We did see my dad, but not as often. She was the full-time parent. So this lovely lady um, would watch us after school for my mom. And she also provided us um, Bible studies uh, at her house on like Tuesday evenings or something. And she was actually the one who introduced us to Christianity. She was the one who um, I accepted Jesus into my heart into in her basement when I was a little kid. Just all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some very like beautiful memories of being at that house, which are also like there's some like trickle of you know, the scary, like Satan stuff and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But I mean, um, 
I generally look at that time in my life as a very beautiful part of the church life of this woman seeing a need of a single mother and, you know, taking care of kids. And so that actually, wow, sorry, that aspect um, (laughs) is, is actually quite beautiful. Um, What ended up happening though, is when we kind of moved away from that neighborhood and through my teen years, um, I started attending this like evangelical camp and it was incredibly fundamentalist. Mm. And by the time I reached 18 and decided that I was going to live my life in this way, um, things became very strict, like the evangelical requirements for this teenager slash young adult were quite um, strict and apparent um, because I was deciding for myself to live that way. So, you know, like purity culture was rampant. We actually attended purity retreats. I worked at purity retreats uh, as Mm. a youth leader. Um, Just a lot of things like that. I worked every summer at this Bible camp. There was, it was very charismatic, so heavily into the prophetic and speaking in tongues and all of those things um, uh, were kind of part of my Christian upbringing. I got married in the church that I met my husband at. Um, I'm so grateful for my husband because he's kind of deconstructing along with me. So I feel like I was kind of um, lucky in that way. Mm. But yeah, so I would say my 20s were quite heavily uh, impacted. I'd say the most impacted years of my life were the my 20s. And being, we were 19 and 20 when we got married. We had our first child a year later. Oh, wow. And it's just been like this decade of my life. I'm turning 30 this year. So it's been 10 years of heavy, heavy influence of the church. And now just kind of looking back and recognizing Oh no, these years that were, I, I had wished would have been so full of joy and they were cause I love my family, um, are, are kind of tainted almost with mm. these, these like toxic experiences and like shame inducing experiences that I'd had. And, and now it's, um, it was almost as though we were we were searching for churches that were a bit more progressive and a bit more progressive and a bit more relatable. And I finally came to the end of myself at this last one that we attended that was seemingly progressive, but had all the same fundamental core beliefs that harm people. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, we had the fog machines and like the loud worship and our, our pastor had tattoos and, and would <laughs> name sermons like things that related to swear words or like talking about <laughs> marijuana or something like something ridiculous. Like, don't be a pothead. Like he would have those kinds of things in his sermons to make them relatable. But the underlying message was still the same toxic stuff. So how um, did you like what made you start saying like something's not right here? I, so I think that I'd always had this inkling that these people outside the church who I was like, that was my family. Those were people that I grew up with, um, friends that I'd made in my teen years when I wasn't necessarily only surrounded by Christian friends that I just didn't see them as bad people because they weren't involved in the church. And I had friends who came out as gay and I would have these moments of wrestling in myself being like, I don't see anything in this person that 
is wrong or would lead me to believe that they're living a lie. You know, mm-hmm. there's those moments of just recognizing that these people were people. And I couldn't uh, reconcile that with these beliefs that I was holding. But because I was so deeply invested in the church and in the evangelical framework, so to speak, it was hard. Like it was those things that I pushed aside as opposed to dealing with. Um, I would say for me, and I feel like for a lot of people who are now in the deconstructing space was when president Trump was elected. Mm. And I think a lot of us were like, wait, what? Like I was told that love meant not bullying other people. I was told that love meant you treated everyone. Well, I was told that love meant you don't use profanity. Like you don't insult people. You don't harm And this is all I'm seeing in this person. And I think for me and the evangelical response to Trump that was full of hatred and just full of, or not the response to him, but the response to people Mm. because of his election being so full of hate, um, that really was the first moment that I can recognize right now as being um, kind of like a fundamental, like, wait a second something's not right here. Hmm. Which is crazy because you live in Canada. And I do. It had such far-reaching effects that Trump was elected, made Christians yeah. everywhere just go, uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that camp that I had been working at, that was a ministry that I'd been in for, well, I'd been going since I was 10. And I guess four years ago, I was 26 ish. (laughs) So like it had been a long time and the pastor there, I have like this one defining moment um, because I have a BA in criminology and I graduated when I was about 22. So I have some kind of education in social issues. And I remember thinking that a lot of these social issues, like social justice issues are important things that Christians should be addressing. And I remember like, I think it was probably partially because I was a young parent and I had been at home and sort of just working and taking care of my kids. I was kind of out of the loop for a while, but I had kind of made this assumption that we were on this good side in a sense, you know, like I believed that we were going to do things to help people. And I remember this like defining moment of walking up the stairs in my old pastor's house and he was watching the news and it was like Hillary Clinton. And at that point, for myself, I was like, Hillary's the obvious choice here. Like, <laughs> I think it was probably my own ignorance and just not really understanding U.S. politics at that point. But I'm like, Hillary's the obvious choice, right? Because, like, look at this guy. This guy doesn't have any of the characteristics that I would assume we would support. And he looked at this thing and full of, like, hatred, full of hatred. He was like, she needs to go to jail. That's a horrible woman. She needs mm-hmm. to be in jail. And I was there like, what? <laughs> I, I just did it. it. It was just one of those things I'm like, uh-oh. Like really big uh-oh moment for me. And then everything kind of stemming from that was just watching this pastor on Facebook, like attacking people. And like, it was just so much hatred that I Hmm. didn't believe would exist in these people that I held to such high esteem. And that was, I would say that's probably the beginning of the end for me. 
And then it took the end meaning what exactly? Oh, sorry. So the end of uh, just my faith in the evangelical church Hmm. as something that I could respect as loving and as a reflection of the Jesus I had come to know and come to love. Um, And I I think my deconstruction has gone a little bit further than that at this point, but uh, just meeting now, those are all open questions too. Like who was Mm. Jesus? (laughs) But at that (laughs) point, um, that point I was still like, I don't understand how this could be reflective of a loving God Mm. and a loving Jesus. And that was, that was the moment for me uh, that I can look back to. And what, what did you start feeling then? Like, as you're like, okay, now it's time to distance myself. Did you go through moments of like, wait, what am I doing? Or were you just solid in it from the beginning? Or like, what was the emotional development for you? So I actually had a pretty traumatic childhood. And so one of my one of the things that really impacted my behavior was a fear of rejection. So at that point in time, although there was like this cognitive dissonance within myself of like between what I held to be true and the things that I was witnessing, I was so afraid of being rejected within the church and so afraid of being rejected within this evangelical community that I had that I, I didn't really do much about it. I didn't really Mm. process it at that time. Um, I I could feel what I was feeling and I I kind of would voice my opinion, but eventually with it being shut down every time and like being told that when I spoke out like that, that I was negatively impacting these ministries that I was a part of, I actually felt the shame of that. And Mm -hmm. with such fear of being rejected, I was quiet about it for a really long time. Um, until the pandemic really uh, hit and I started to recognize that the things that I loved about my communities were the people, like the community. (laughs) And it wasn't these leaders that I had been holding up as my pastor or um, my moral superiors, my spiritual (laughs) superiors. These people weren't what I was there for. And the more that I distanced myself from the community out of necessity in the pandemic, um, the more I realized that that was the part that I missed. I didn't really care about these words of knowledge that I was hearing because a lot of them didn't really make much sense to me (laughs) anymore. Um, And once I came to that point, I was like, well, if I'm not with this ministry anymore, who am I going to be with like who are my friends going to be like are are people still going to want to be around me um and then last year i was speaking to someone who had previously left the church we were at and she used this word deconstruction and i was like what's that <laughs> i had no <laughs> idea what it was and i left that conversation and i googled deconstruction and i was like oh my gosh I'm not alone. (laughs) Like there are so many other people like me. And I found, who did I find first? I found like God is gray, um, Mm. dirty, rotten church kids, uh, your favorite heretics. And I was Mm. just looking at their work and being like, Oh my goodness. Like 
I relate to so much of this. And <laughs> these are the questions that I had. And these are the things that I've always had taken issue with. And, and here are all these people who've experienced the same stuff and are feeling the same way. And it was just a revelation that I wasn't going to be alone in this as I processed it. And it felt mm-hmm. so much more um, like compassionate and so much more accepting of different viewpoints it was just, it was so good. And that's kind of how that all took place and unraveled. <laughs> so then <laughs> what would you say, what was the development then in your faith or your beliefs or, or where do you stand today? Because like you said, in the deconstruction community, people are just so much more open and accepting and they're not like telling you well you left that fundamentalism now here's the new fundamentalism that you have to accept they're just like right it's your journey you know go on that journey on your own and it's not our job to tell you where to land so where would you say you are today um after going through all this yeah so it depends on the day uh um it's 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 actually a beautiful place to not have to be certain about anything um or everything or um, have to come to any conclusions for my beliefs or my interpretations to be significant or valid. Um, I still believe there's a God. And sometimes I still believe that Jesus is Christ. (laughs) But there's all these things that I... I don't know. And the more that I study the history of the Bible and the more that I come to these revelations of all these changes that were made and all these um, historical inconsistencies and things like that, I just come to a point where I say, I don't need to know. I don't need absolute truth right now because that was such a box to be in. Hmm. And I'm okay with not being there. I'm okay with exploring. Um, And for me, at this point in time, I actually don't have a big focus on figuring out what I believe, theologically speaking, or what doctrine sounds good to me. Like Those things aren't important to me at this point in time. I feel really drawn to working through my own trauma and Mm -hmm. the things that happened in my own, in my own walk. And I hate that word now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) Yeah. They sneak in there. Those yeah, like oh, yeah. sneaky little Christianese words sneak in. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, no. Right. So my focus now is not on, um, is not on this theology, but instead on working through my own trauma and helping other people process their trauma. Um, because I don't feel like I can go into a place where I have solid beliefs like a reconstruction or however that looks um without having done that so at this point i don't know i don't know a lot of stuff and i'm a know-it-all so being in that place of i don't know and i don't care that i don't know has actually been really good and really (laughs) freeing and hard but also necessary i would say oh yeah i i think I think a lot of people in the deconstruction world have similar experiences because I think the 
evangelical church breeds know-it-alls. You know, you get trained in apologetics. And so now you know everything and you have all the ways to engage people, no matter what beliefs they come from and tell them like Mm -hmm. how right you are and how wrong they are. And I think that's what's cool about the deconstruction world is so many people are getting to that point of like, yeah, I'm okay with not being a know-it-all right now. And I'm okay with like, well, and I think one of the other beautiful things it does too is it makes you just much more willing to sit and consider a point of view. For whereas sure. before it was just immediately like, oh, that doesn't line up. So I can't even listen to you anymore. Like, you know, put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 la. I can't hear yeah. you, you know, because it was just like, nope, that's not it. And now it's like, let me sit and ponder for a little bit yes. what this might mean. For sure. I actually have this friend. Uh, he is a Christian. He's still in the church. Um, and a couple of years back, he told me that he doesn't believe that people go to like eternal torment. He doesn't believe in that type of hell. And he actually believes that people can be saved post-death. And I just like back then I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you're a heretic. No, I never yeah, said Oh that. yeah. <laughs> But but I remember wrestling with that and even asking someone like one of those more fundamentalist leaders in my life about that and being completely shot down and like Mm. told that people absolutely do go to hell and that, you know, if missionaries don't go to other countries, then they're responsible for those people going to hell too. It, It was just... Took my question to a really dark place in this conversation. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to just put a pin in that. (laughs) Um, And we had a conversation the other night and I was like, I can see that. That sounds valid to me. Like that sounds more godly than, you know, you either believe in me in your short lifespan or I'm damning you to hell for eternity. (laughs) It seems more loving to be like after death, be like, Oh, oops, I was I was wrong about you, God. And he's like, no problem. <laughs> like, come <Yeah>. on up. <laughs> I don't know if Yeah, you well, I remember you. when Rob Bell's book came out, mm-hmm. The Love Wins, and how I mean it was everybody in my circles was like, Well, he's gone off the deep end, and it's now like, oh, hold on yeah. a second. <laughs> right. Maybe he was onto something there. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely things I struggled with like six months ago, a year ago, that I'd look back at now and be like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 valid. That makes sense, you know. Yeah. Things that before I would have been like, uh oh, that's heretical. What are you talking about? <laughs> we love that word here. I know, me um, too. I love it. <laughs> and it just seems like the pandemic has really, as much as there are so many downsides to it, it caused sure. a lot of people to have that time to sit and reflect, or 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 to get the distance that they needed from the church or certain communities or certain types of teaching to go, right. wait a second. Wait, yeah. do I believe that anymore? You know? And I think For that's sure. been really cool to see all these people kind of emerging going, yeah, I think I, I think I'm not there anymore. Um, yeah. One thing I want to get back to is um, in your, in your bio, you talked about like there were so many things that made you feel silenced or dismissed Right. Um, so, so what were some of those things or, or what were some of the experiences that you went through? And was right. that because just the church in general? Was it because you're a woman? Like, what were the reasons there? And, um, how did, <laughs> how did you get to that realization there too, of like, wait, 
it's okay for me to have a voice. Right. Um, so I believe that a lot of what happens is that you're either saying the things that they want you to say, or if you come up with these things that might be considered different or might be considered, you know, kind of contrary to what is being said within the evangelical church, um, you're going to get a talking to basically. And I ran into that so often, just being myself, just being myself. And, you know, I, I consider myself to be an intelligent person. I did really well in school and I studied social issues. So when the church would say something about social issues that I knew to be incorrect, um, I have a huge issue with like the prosperity gospel and like all of these types of things, because I know there are so many factors like social factors that go into Mm. poverty. And I feel like the church totally ignores those things and actually harms people in the process. Um, and those kinds of things got me in trouble a lot on, uh, on social media. I would actually Mm. get pulled aside by my pastor or by my pastor's wife and like told to be careful what I commented or where I commented things, or I was told that I would lose my platform, um, or people, I was a worship leader and I was warned that if I didn't, stay quiet on certain things. It wasn't worded that way. It was more like you have to make this decision because if you keep speaking out like this, people in the audience are just not going to be able to receive from you in worship anymore. Hmm. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, like, okay, how is that my fault? (laughs) Like, I don't understand why that was being put on me. Um, And I just knew there were things like, that I knew I had to say, and I knew there were things that if I said them would ruin my chance of being part of certain ministries. And going back to that fear of rejection, I just wanted to be accepted. And so I was willing to be quiet, you know, and I don't know if Mm -hmm. it was willingness, but maybe it was just kind of like, you know, um, kind of adhering to the standard that they set out and, kind of stuffing it back within myself instead of, you know, being who I was. Um, You also see a lot of um, uh, just kind of culture in the church where if like a leader does something wrong, you're not actually supposed to question that leader. Like you see it a lot on social media nowadays, especially with a lot of the work that Do Better Church is doing, where you can see that these conversations they don't want these conversations to be had. Like they shut Mm. down comments. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they block people and it has a lot to do with not wanting accountability. And that was part of the church when you were in the church, like you weren't allowed to gossip. And I put those in quotation marks, (laughs) even when gossip was literally like, this is damaging people. We need to do something about this. Like, and you weren't allowed to do that (laughs) because that was gossip and it was wrong and it was sin. And there were just so many things like that, that, um, coupled with just already being someone who was so afraid of being rejected. I didn't want to stir the, like stir the pot, rock the boat, whatever metaphor you want to use or (laughs) analogy. So at what point then were you like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be quiet anymore. Was it like a slow burn or was there like a pivotal moment where you were like, "Mm -mm, I've had enough. Like, how did you get there? I 
It was actually kind of interesting because there were people in the church who I know are really strong Christians, um, like who believe a lot of what our pastor had been saying, but they would actually come up to me and be like, I'm really proud of you for how vocal you are on social media. And it would Mm. be about like nothing controversial, but just like, I was always really honest about my parenting. Um, I struggle with uh, anxiety and depression and had pretty severe postpartum depression. And I was always fairly open about it, not in like a, like telling all my problems way, but in a, in a solidarity way. Cause I Mm. knew that it was such a, uh, I don't know, like such a shame thing for new Mm. moms. And I remember just people coming up and being like, you know, I really feel like you're meant to be loud about things. I'm like, cool. Awesome. And I, I kept doing it with like, things that were acceptable um and then eventually I have like a pivotal moment where I realized um so last year during the election my pastor posted this social media post about like not trashing um not trashing political leaders or not saying anything about political leaders online like that in order to have an opinion about this you have to pay your dues And if you don't pay your dues, then you're just like this trashy person that you just smell like trash, blah, blah, blah. It was awful. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. Um, I posted it recently in my, uh, on my social media. I don't know if he changed it at all though. Maybe not. I, I felt like maybe he took out the smelly part because he did call people smelly the first time around. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Yeah, it was it was so unnecessary and such poor timing. It was during one of the most controversial elections of our time. And it was just telling people to basically stop using social media to shut up and hold your tongue. Like, mm. that's what it said. He said, hold your tongue. And, and he's like, just my encouragement. Ha ha. Yeah. What a jerk. Sorry. <laughs> um, and that was actually the day. The, that was the day. I'm like, I'm done with that. Um, Cause I knew him and I knew things that had been said. I had been contacting people and who had left the church and kind of just asking them to tell their stories. And they told me their stories and they lined up with mine and they were, these were people that I trust and have, they have integrity. I didn't tell them what I was feeling. I didn't tell them anything. I just asked them to tell me their story if they felt comfortable. And those who did um, told me so many things that had happened and I just knew, I just knew he was being this hypocrite, like by firstly posting on social media while telling people not to post on social media. And then by knowing some of the things that he had gossiped about. um, And like, there was one thing that had been about me um, when I had first started going to that church because we had actually been attending a church that was run by his best friend and I didn't know that at the time. I don't know how I ended up. Anyway, that's <laughs> anyway. Sounds like a small world over there. <laughs> yeah, it is small town Ottawa, um, Ottawa, Ontario. I live in Quebec, mm. but like thirty minutes, and you're in Ottawa, so that's where mm. we were in church because I'm not that French. Um, <laughs> so we had been at this one church, and then we went to the next church, and when the first pastor had found out that we had gone to this other church. He was angry, I guess. And I had like three different people tell me at that point, 
that there had been this birthday party. Um, sorry, two different people told me at that point that there had been this birthday party where my name was brought up and like our first pastor, like the first one was like calling me crazy and stuff like that to my current pastor. Yeah. And then he went to the worship leader who had just onboarded me onto the worship team. And he told that guy that I, uh, to watch out for me because I was crazy. (laughs) And this was four years that was four years ago to the time that we had ended up leaving. So I was processing that and then trying to like reconcile what I was going to do. Cause he didn't really know me at that point, blah, blah, blah. But then when he posted that, I was like, you're the biggest hypocrite. Like I know <laughs> this stuff. And I confronted him in an email about that. And he never wrote me back. Never really? denied. Well, we had been chatting back and forth, but as soon as I brought that stuff up, he didn't write me back, didn't try to deny it, didn't do anything. So hmm. I was like, all right. And that was the moment I'm like, nope, I'm done. You can say whatever you want about me. And like, I have to toe the line, but I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like enraged a little discussing <laughs> it. <laughs> no, it I don't way. blame you. Yeah, it's all good. It's all a good way. Um, Because that was the moment when I was like, this is, it's all lies. It's all a foundation of lies. And I was Mm -hmm. done with it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, if this was the person who was telling me to be quiet because talking was getting people into trouble or whatever. And then he was the same person who was gossiping behind my back and then basically telling people not to have a voice within the political sphere if they hadn't paid their dues, like, I don't know what dues Trump paid except being born rich and then (laughs) being an arrogant jerk. Like (laughs) once I reached that point, I decided I was done and I took a few months off and then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start a a deconstruction page. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how you started that loud deconstructing one. Right. Um, Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite things about your account is that you called it that that loud deconstructing one because even yeah. like my my quiet submissive evangelical female self was like right. loud loud right. you know and then it's like no I mean because I'm I'm more like you like I never was that just like quiet gentle mm-hmm. person and it got me into a lot of trouble as a kid. And then it was yep. like, okay, now, you know, I'm an adult. I need to rein it in. And I just love that you were like, I'm going to reclaim that. And I'm just going to yeah. own that about myself. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use that voice for, for good. Um, and so I love that you're embracing that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, is that one of the goals of what you want to do with the platform? Or like, what, what are you hoping yep. that people get out of following your account and hearing what you have to say. For sure. Yeah. I just wanted to reclaim loud because I had been taught for so long that it was something negative about myself. Um, I got into a lot of trouble. I don't know what it was, but I think it, it was seen as like not being submissive enough to submissive enough to leadership to be vocal. Um, and it was a consistent thing. Like my heart was always to like, be like, promoting this ministry and I was always so into these things but yet I would still get in trouble because I was too loud like it was taken the wrong way and just assumed that I was you know trying to I don't know thwart leadership or something I have no idea but yeah it was always this thing that I disliked about myself 
for as long as I could remember. And I was like, I'm done with that. Like I, I'm awesome (laughs) and I'm intelligent and I care about people and I'm going to be loud about those things. Um, I'm going to be loud to the point where it's uncomfortable because certain things I post, I'm like, Oh my gosh, please don't like, like don't get taken the wrong way because I'm still like myself and still healing. Um, But I, it's so important to me that that is part of it, that being loud is part of it. Um, And being loud for people who aren't in a place to be loud yet, like who don't feel comfortable being loud, Mm -hmm. who don't, who aren't there, who have to be, I get messages from people who are still living at home and are, are scared to talk about it because they're scared of what would happen with their family. And, you know, there are people who want to be loud, but just couldn't find their voices yet. And I just want to be someone who those people can go to and be a safe place for people wherever they are on the deconstruction journey, whether they never, you know, never start their own page or never get loud about their story, but they know that they're seen and heard and Mm -hmm. that their experiences are valid that these things that happened are not in their head. Like the things that I thought for so long were my problem were actually toxic theology problems or abusive behavior problems. Mm. And that's part of it is just helping other people, helping myself like deal with this trauma and just being, being me. (laughs) That's I, I love that so much because even now it's so hard sometimes to figure out like is this normal thinking or is this like what I was indoctrinated in and it's what I've known for so long because I was raised in the church and um I wouldn't say it was my parents necessarily who indoctrinated me it was just like that's what they knew and they were being good Christians by taking me to church and then you know at youth group I was taught purity culture and then I went to an apologetics mm-hmm. camp. And then I was on staff right. there. And then I went to the focus on the family leadership Institute, you know, like it, mm. I was so steeped in it. Yeah. Um, that now I'm like, I, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, right. Do, do I actually think this or is right. this just what I was taught to think? Or like, how do I know if that's not normal? <laughs> Cause, and, and it's honestly the best way to know I've, I've figured out is like, just ask someone who who isn't a Christian or who wasn't raised in the church, like, hey, do you think this? Or have you ever right. experienced that? And if they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and I, that's what I love about what you're doing because you're saying you're helping people get to that point uh, without having to like question it forever. You're saying you're, yeah. you're, you're making it more clear, like this is not okay. And it's okay to say that it's not okay. Cause like you were saying, so many authority figures just kind of make it like, well, if you have a problem, then it's your heart or it, you know, and then they're completely above accountability. And there's no, there's no way for us as just like the lowly people in the church Mm -hmm. to say like, Hey, this isn't okay what you're doing. And it needs to change. Like, it's just automatically, like you said, just, you need to be quiet. You shouldn't speak up all that stuff. So I have to say like, 
I, I've seen so much of what you post and it, it, the, I've had many like <laughs> pumping my fist moments of like, yes, yes, girl, you say that. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I'm, it. it seems like you have a ton of people too, who are resonating and who are, who yeah. are like, yes, I love this message of reclaiming your voice. For sure. It's been mind blowing for me. It's every day. I'm like, uh, like, <laughs> do you know who I am? I'm just this like little person from the middle of nowhere. And like, I just love that that doesn't matter. Like, it's mm. not about, I don't have to be this important person. I don't actually want to be anyone like that. I just want to speak out and help people. And if that's mm. what it's doing, then that's that's exactly what I want. And mm. Well, I, I based on what I'm saying, it seems like that's very much what you're doing. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for... Uh, pioneering the way on that, for, <laughs> especially wow. for us women, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's so difficult because you, you're considering not just like all the indoctrination, sure. but like you said, like, how's my family going to react? Or, or right. if you don't have, if your spouse, if you're married and your your spouse isn't on board, it's like, well, can I even speak yeah. up? Or like, is it okay to say, I don't know what I believe? You know, there's yeah, so yeah. much like going against speaking up and so I love that you're just like no I'm gonna do it and I don't care you know like if I lose all my church friends along the way because they don't like what I'm saying so I have to just say thank you for that um on behalf of myself (laughs) and other women I know like I have um my sister follows you and we're constantly like did you see that post whoa so Wow, that's humbling oh my goodness I don't even know how to respond (laughs) that's (laughs) awesome um I didn't actually think about the aspect. Like, I mean, I do think about how I'm a woman in the church and it's different, but I, there's so many aspects to it that I didn't really understand. Um, like that I'm still unraveling a little bit. Um, I remember like a few months ago, me and my friend, my best friend is basically one of my intellectual twins. Basically we have very similar, um, similar beliefs, similar personalities. And I don't even remember the conversation, but we were having a conversation on like a comment thread on Facebook. And this guy, like this, this man that used to be one of our leaders started attacking us and then tagged her husband in the post for no reason. Like he wasn't there. And she's like, why are you tagging my husband? Are you like telling on me? I don't understand. And then, (laughs) and then we deleted him and we were done. And he started trying to friend my husband on Facebook and he doesn't even know my husband. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm not property. Like my husband, what do you expect my husband to do? He can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you would expect him to tell me I've been bad. Like, I don't, I don't understand. You need to submit Julia. It's time Seriously. To my poor husband. No, he's awesome. <laughs> he loves me. He's uh, he, he's like an introvert and he's very quiet and he's very much different than I am. And it works perfectly for our dynamic mm. because um, I don't think I could handle being married to someone who was me. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think that he, I don't think that he would function in a marriage with someone who's like him because I don't think that the, like anything would happen. I don't know. They're just, it's so funny. Um, mm-hmm. my husband's the best. I love him. He's, mm-hmm. I'm so, so, so lucky to be mm-hmm. married to someone like that. And I, when I see like people who are deconstructing, and their spouse is not or not receptive to it. It's it breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I can't imagine that, or even deconstructing and realizing that they're in an abusive situation. 
Oh man. And trying to like reconcile that and figure that out. Like, man, I, I can't speak to it. And I just, I just think about those people and uh, it's, it's heavy. There's some heaviness in this space for sure. Oh, for sure. But you know, I mean, without people like you doing that work, some of that heaviness mm-hmm. might never get rooted out. So, wow. all right. I have yeah. one final question, but I think it's maybe one of the most important ones. And it's sure. one that we ask everyone because, I mean, it's 2021. We all need yeah. hope <laughs> yeah, in 2021. Sure. But yeah. also, like, it's been really fascinating to see that there people are finding hope in such diverse places. And sure. it's really encouraging. So for you... When you're looking at the future of faith, especially Mm. from your perspective within the deconstruction world um, and the deconstruction community, is there anything that gives you hope? And um, what is it? But also, why is that the thing that gives you hope? I think like coming into this deconstruction space and just seeing that people can coexist peacefully without... um, kind of having to be like, no, you're wrong. Like it's this way. It has to be this way. And just recognizing that a lot of Christians are moving into this kind of space. Like, and we're seeing church attendance is down um, to like below 50% of the population in the United States. And I don't know how that reflects up here in Canada yet, but um, just seeing those kinds of things and recognizing that the church is going to have to recognize that it's doing things wrong. Like there Mm -hmm. are things like it's it's not something they can ignore or sweep under the rug anymore. And I just feel like that actually brings me a lot of hope because I think that there is absolute room for churches in society. I think there are beautiful things done by churches. I attend, I go to this uh, secondhand store that's like run by volunteers through this church and they give away clothes to people who are needing it. And those are beautiful aspects of the church, like loving the community and loving people. And those things are beautiful. And I think once we start moving away from these toxic theologies that harm people and start moving back towards helping people and standing for people, um, those things bring me hope. The idea that those things will happen. And I believe that they will happen. And I believe that we don't have to have, um, like, we don't have to be on the same page about all the theology and doctrine but we can just learn to love one another and respect one another and work towards equality and ending the oppression of people and just all the things that I truly believe the, even if you don't believe that Jesus was God, the symbol of Jesus to me, the symbol of the Christ was about ending oppression. And like, that's something that Joe speaks a lot about. And I don't want to like take her words and say they're mine because she's totally the one that has been um, speaking on that. Um, Joe Lumen. Yes, exactly. I I wanted to give her the credit there because um, that is definitely something that she speaks about the Christ being a symbol for um, uh, for ending oppression, and I I couldn't put it more eloquently than that. And that's something that I believe, and it's something so beautiful. Um, and that's what gives me hope is that we will end oppression and work towards a bettering of the world, even if we can't agree on doctrine. That's kind of my hope. I love that. I love that. All right. I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes so far, but we always like to try mm-hmm. to end with some fun questions. 
So okay. I'm going to try to yeah. ask them quickly and you can just respond with first thing that pops into your head. And they're, don't worry, they're fun. Nothing like nothing weird, <laughs> scary or anything. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first question. What's something you love doing now that you never would have given yourself permission to do in your evangelical days? Ooh, sometimes I get drunk and it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that Imagine really that. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know if that's a bad answer. No, that's great. <laughs> okay. I love it. Um, okay. You have four kids, right? I do. Okay. What's something funny one of them has said or done? Oh, my goodness. Um... Ah, uh, oh my gosh, they're so hilarious. <laughs> uh, my toddler is insane and she colors on absolutely everything. And her fun thing to do right now is she'll color on something and I'll go to catch her and she'll run away and then like throw the marker somewhere that she doesn't think that I can reach it. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of fun. The other day she hit a bunch of mini eggs all over the house and then I just kept catching her eating them and I had no idea where they were so I couldn't take them away and she would just walk up to me eating chocolate and I'm like okay like <laughs> she's my That's fourth. That's smart. I'm she's impressed. A, she's a genius. She's really really intelligent and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna have your hands full with that one. Yeah. Uh, okay so I know you spend a lot of your free time doing all the social media stuff that you do. But if you ever have free time beyond that, what's something you like to do that helps you just feel rested and rejuvenated? I actually love doing puzzles. Uh, I'm currently working on puzzles that are from Blue Kazoo, which is actually a company that's uh, owned by uh, Abraham Piper. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so as soon as I found out that he also runs a puzzle company, I bought a few puzzles and they are horrifically difficult but also oh. amazing so i love them i my sister and i are also puzzlers so i will definitely be checking that out it's really cool i'll send you a link okay thank you um <laughs> okay what's one of your favorite books you've ever read and it can be fiction or nonfiction. it's actually really funny that one of my favorite series is the hunger games <laughs> i love, I love the, hunger games. the hunger games i've read them multiple times i listened to the audiobooks I don't know if it has to do with like my love for social justice and like just mm -hmm. watching. Uh, I actually compared Trump to President Snow so many times. I don't even <laughs> know how many times I was like, this is what's happening right now, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's, is it uh, like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Like she wrote the book and now we're, we're oh doomed to go that way. I don't know. I don't know, but there's a lot of intelligence in that series. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. I haven't read the one where like snow is the main character. Cause I am so over narcissistic men that I don't think oh. that I could, I don't think I would care. I don't think I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. I didn't, I didn't know there was one. Oh no. Yeah. There's something it's, it's from his perspective. I think he was like a person in the hunger games when he was younger or something like the victor. I don't actually oh, know. Really? But I don't want. I feel like that would be like reading a book from Trump's perspective, which I never want to do. Exactly. I'm like, I don't need the position of a narcissistic man. I don't care. Like, like there was no redemption in his story. I don't need to hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might sound huh. awful, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, hey, I don't blame you at all. Okay. Last question. And I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much with this one. So okay. feel free to say no. Sure. 
I have seen some of your TikTok videos and I know you have a beautiful singing voice. So would you be willing to just sing something for us really quickly? Ooh, okay. Um, I, I can try. <laughs> Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins so you can sharpen your knife. That's it. <laughs> wow i actually am getting chills right now that's amazing oh, i appreciate that i that's a beautiful version of that song yeah I and actually you know it. it's funny when that song first came out um i like hated it because i was like oh he's he's saying that the church is bad how could he and right? i'm like oh yeah it's huh. so good there are yeah. so many songs like that now where i'm like damn <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, thank you for singing. I really appreciate it because you have a beautiful voice. And I appreciate that. I love that you're you can just bust out like that. I would I yep, never will I be able uh, to do that. It's, it, yeah, it's hard a little bit. Um I don't know much music anymore because like I spent the last 10 years being like, oh, I can't listen to secular music because it might destroy my gift or whatever. Oh like, what my god. What the gosh. crap does this even mean anymore? I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so behind. <laughs> Um, well, I, I know the feeling, um, still trying to play catch up on that, but, um, thank you so much for all of this, Julia. I really enjoyed hearing more of your story and your heart and what you've gone through and how like you have just been so strong and now you are advocating for other people, which is just, we need more of that in this world. So, um, for anyone who is interested in following you, where can they find you and all the amazing work that you're doing online? Awesome. Yeah. So my main account is on Instagram and it's that loud deconstructing one. Um, and I think I have like my TikTok handle and my uh, Twitter handle or whatever on there. I really am terrible uh, at those ones. The one that I'm consistent on is Instagram. So that's awesome. where I am. Well, I'll find them and put them in our show notes for anyone who's interested. So thank (laughs) you so much for your time today, Julia. I've really enjoyed this. And seriously, thank you so much for the work you're doing. And don't stop. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. This was great. Uh, I appreciate your work, too. I'm so excited about these podcasts. They're, They're great. Well, thank you. And that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And before you go, we'd like to ask you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of this humble little show. It may not seem like it, but it takes hours upon hours to create each episode and get them out to you each week. And whether you knew this or not, it's just me and Gary Allen with my husband, Josh, doing all the editing simply out of the goodness of his heart. So your contributions to the show will not only help us to continue producing quality content, it also gets you access to each show five days early. You get exclusive content and first dibs on merch when we finally get to that point. Every little bit helps. So head to patreon.com slash holy heretics to become a patron. Thank you. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge. 